Chapter 4 of A Woman of Yesterday. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ritu, Canada. A Woman of Yesterday by Caroline Atwater Mason. Book 1, Morning. Chapter 4. The fiend that man harries is love of the best. The Sphinx, R. W. Emerson. Melvina Loveland, the girl whom Anna had found solace in forgiving for her childish offence, had come out, as Heron people said, at the same time with Anna. This fact and the compunction in Anna's heart toward her early foe had drawn the two girls together, and they became friends. They talked of the interests of the cause of religion and read biographies together, or rather, Anna read aloud while her friend diligently produced lace work with a small shuttle or hemp stitched linen ruffles. But both cared less for these several occupations than for the sense of mingling their young, unfolding perceptions. Anna had need of a friend. Lucia, her sister, was many years older and had long ago married a farmer and departed deep into the hills where she worked with the immoderate industry of New England women, bore many children and lived a life into which Anna did not enter deeply. The Mallison boys were away from home, studying and working, and the parsonage was a silent place. Anna adored her father with the restrained ardour of her kind, and loved her mother with a great tenderness, but she was actively intimate with neither, and thus greatly alone. Mally was noticeably pretty, and Anna thought her beauty angelic. She was capable, clever, quick and impulsive, one of the women who can do anything they see done, strongly imitative and impressionable. She developed rapidly while Anna matured slowly. Anna had nobleness, Mally had facility. Anna beside Mally looked uncomfortably tall with her angular thinness and her dark grave face. She had masses of lusterless brown hair, a clear brown skin like her father, and like him singularly fine hands. Her eyes were her mother's and her only beauty, golden brown and of limpid clearness. To both these girls their religion was a system of prohibition and of an abnormal development of conscience. The negative, not the positive side was uppermost to them. Thou shalt not was written over every device and desire which did not minister directly to the furtherance of the local conception of religion. Both were eager to grasp the positive side to convert the world, to see Satan chained, and themselves to contribute to this desirable consummation, but they were doubtful how to begin. Both were ardent controversialists after the manner of their day, and Anna read systematic theology with her father with extraordinary relish. They waited and wondered, each longing for her destiny to disclose itself decisively, but with Anna, a hidden life budded beneath the surface, unknown even to Mally. The romantic and poetic impulses of her nature, no longer directly nourished by the poets whom she had put away from her by force, stirred in her heart and fed themselves in silence on the life of nature and on the delicate, evanescent imaginings of her awakening womanhood. Below the surface of her conscious thoughts, a strange, inarticulate passion for power and freedom beat and throbbed and would not be stilled despite her quiet, conscientious conformity to the narrow conditions of the world about her. She did not know what freedom was, 
but she felt that she was not free neither did she clearly know what the power meant for which she longed but she felt the absence of it in every one she had ever met it was mysterious indefinable once only had she encountered it and that was in a dream thus a nature simple and single with all its forces apparently bent one way and with few avenues or none by which to import conflicting influences was in fact already incipiently subject to the complexities of instinct of motive and desire which weave the bewildering network of human experience when anna was twenty an event occurred of much importance in its bearing on her life under the direction of an old friend of samuel mallison the reverend dr durham of boston a general secretary for foreign missions a series of meetings was held in heron for the promotion of an interest in this cause dr durham was entertained during the time of the convention at the parsonage he was a genial and kindly man and became in his way an especial friend of anna in whom he manifested a marked interest from the country round about during the week men and women thronged to heron and at an evening meeting to be addressed by a woman who had been a missionary in india the white meeting-house was filled many in the congregation had never seen a missionary many more had never heard a woman speak in public curiosity ran high the speaker was a little sallow woman in a plain and unbecoming grey gown who stepped timidly to the edge of the platform laying a small hand which trembled visibly on the cold mahogany pulpit as if to conciliate it for her intrusion and to crave its support she spoke in a shrill crescendo without the graces or arts of a skilled speaker and she made no appeal to the emotions of the hearers it was rather a dry and unimaginative account of the work done at an obscure mountain station with statistics of no great impressiveness and careful attention to accuracy of detail but she had the advantage of sowing her seed on virgin soil it was not important at that day and to those isolated and simple-minded people that the missionary should speak with enticing words or attempt dramatic effect she was herself there before them in flesh and blood and no great time before she had been on heathen ground had come into actual combat face to face with wild savage men and strange outlandish women who knew not god and who veritably and visibly bowed down to wood and stone for the hour that little woman of weak bodily presence and commonplace intellect became the incarnation of christianity seeking a lost world and she herself was far greater to their thought than anything she could have said at the end of her report for it was that rather than appeal or address she told the story of a high caste hindu woman to whom she had sought to give the gospel message this woman had turned upon her with grave wonder and had asked how long have you known this about this jesus oh for many years all my life in fact then said the woman solemnly why did you not come to tell us before without comment or enlargement having told of this occurrence the speaker turned and walked shyly from the platform leaving an unusual hush in the assembly as if an event a result of some sort were waited for toward the end of the church where she was seated with her mother anna mallison rose in her place made her way out in the middle aisle and then with her head a little bent but her face neither pale nor agitated walked quietly to the foot of the platform samuel mallison who was seated with dr durham behind the pulpit rose and stood just above as if to receive her 
looking down with solemn eyes, someone who saw Anna's face said that, as she looked up into that of her father thus bent above her, the smile which suddenly illuminated it was beyond earthly beauty. It was a look in which two human spirits, and those father and child, purged as far as might be of earthliness, met an angelic interchange, pure and high. Turning about, thus facing the great congregation, Anna, who had never before spoken in a public gathering of any sort, however small, said in a voice which was clear and distinct, though not loud, I wish to offer myself to this society to go, if they will send me to some heathen people, to tell them that Christ has died to save them. I am ready to go at once, if it is thought best. The gravity and simplicity, and absence of self-consciousness of the girl's words and bearing, and the profound sympathy of the people who saw and heard her, combined to produce an overpowering impression. As the meeting broke up, women were weeping all over the house, and sturdy, unemotional men were deeply moved. Anna, seeing that many would surround her and speak their sympathy, or give their praise, which she dreaded and feared to hear, turned with swift steps to the door nearest her, and so escaped into the outer darkness of the night, no one following. But as she hurried with light steps across the village green and reached the parsonage gate, she found Mally waiting to waylay her. "'Oh, Anna!' she cried, and her tears flowed fast. "'You will go away from me, from all of us. How can you put this great distance between us?' How can I do anything else, Mally? Anna answered softly. It is what I have been waiting for. I think I was never truly happy until tonight. All my life before I have been unsatisfied, and something has ached and hurt whenever I stop to feel it. And tonight you are really happy? cried her friend, half enviously and yet by no means drawn to devote herself to the medley of crocodiles, dark-skinned babies, and cars of juggernaut, which signified India to her mind. Oh, at last, Anna exclaimed, and with a long breath of relief, will it not bring peace, Mally, to know that I am surely doing his will? It will be like pure sunshine after living in a fog these past years. Then weren't you really happy when you were converted and joined the church? asked Mally naively. Partly, but just to be happy because you are saved yourself, why, it does not last. And you know, dear, we could never find anybody's soul to work for here in Heron, at least we didn't know how, and Anna became silent. The vision of one solitary outcast coming before her, with whom she had been forbidden even to speak. But Mally refused to be comforted thus, and went her way with many tears. There were more tears for Anna to encounter that night, for her mother came home broken-hearted. The Lord had answered her husband's daily prayer, and had graciously chosen one of their own family to preach the gospel to the heathen and the answered prayer was more than the loving soul could sustain. Like Jacob, she could get no farther than the whale. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. Not so Samuel Mallison. Too long had he schooled himself to the sacrifice of his dearest human and earthly desires. The long discipline of his life stood him now in good stead. Coming into the room where Anna was vainly seeking to comfort her mother, he laid his hands in blessing on her head, and with a look upward which stilled the weeping woman, he pronounced the ancient words, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace, according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. And yet Anna was the very apple of his eye, of such fibre was the altruism of that rugged first growth. End of chapter 4